1: Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the show. I want to just say to everybody right out of the gate, you've heard me talk about this. You've heard me talk about mammograms. You've heard me talk about my own journey. But did you know that there has been a decline, a decline in mammograms? Did you know that? Do you know why there has been? Well, I'm not going to talk about it. Dr. Dr. Catherine Yao is going to talk about it. Chair elect of the National Accreditation Program for Breast Centers at the American College of Surgeons. Big conversation, big thing going on here. But this is an awareness month. Honestly, every month should be an awareness month. Dr. Yao, thank you for joining me here today. I, I was reading about this and I was like, wow, why? <laughs> why, <laughs> right?
2: Talk about what's happening. So so we know with the pandemic that breast centers shut down their screening mammogram programs. <laughs> anywhere from 50 to 80% of breast centers across the country shut down their screening mammogram programs for anywhere from one to three months. But we do know that approximately six months after that, most screening centers resume normal volumes. Now, when we say normal volumes, that means that they resumed the volume that they were doing prior to the pandemic, but it doesn't account for all the increased number of screenings that should be coming through Wow. So we, we may have resumed normal baseline levels, but we haven't increased those levels. So there's still a lot of residual out there and a lot of people that still need screening mammograms yeah. that aren't getting them done.
1: So let's just give people a, a quick a quick view on what mammogram screenings are. Now, for somebody like me, I'm, I'm aware of it. I've done many shows on cancer, breast cancer, the effects of it. I've lost people in my life. And so I have a level of awareness, but not everybody does. Can you bring people up to date on what it is and why it's important? Where are we today with the status of mammograms and what should people know?
2: So mammogram is like an x-ray of the breast. And we do in general recommend starting mammograms at age 40. You can start on an annual basis. And we know that mammograms save lives. There have been multiple, multiple studies, all the way dating back to the nineteen nineties, that have repeatedly shown that mammograms save lives. Yeah, mammograms also catch cancers at an earlier stage and a smaller size. So even if you do get diagnosed with a breast cancer, the treatments are less aggressive and your survival is better because the cancer is caught early.
1: Yeah. Um. We can't say this enough. Or let me just—I don't want to speak for you. I can't say this enough. I mean, just got mine done, right? And and people want to ask the question, why? I, I'm so busy. I don't have time. You know, to be honest with you, this is something that I know people don't want to do because they're afraid of what they may get as a result. But I will tell people here now, we can help you through your fear. You certainly doctor can help people through the knowledge information and through the fear. And I think we need to tell people that we can
2: catch this early, right? Almost definitely. And, and, and I know that people don't like mammograms because they're not so comfortable. There's compression involved, but it's very short. I mean, it's a five to seven minute test. Yeah, really? It is. And I and I will say that the machines have really gotten better through the years. The paddles are softer, the rooms are heated, and the technicians who perform the mammogram, the way that they position patients, it's, it's just gotten so much better through the years. So yeah. it may not be the most comfortable experience, but it's a short, uncomfortable experience for a great benefit that will last for years. I want to just make a comment on
1: what you said, because one of the things I've noticed is that technicians have gotten not just better at what they do. First of all, they're extremely knowledgeable. The second thing is they are compassionate. You know, at least where I am, they are. They understand what you're going through. They understand how it works. And people say to me, well, I I don't want to have a man do it. Well, okay, I've never had a man do mine. I don't even understand how they even figure that out. But there are so many things that we can learn from this. The other thing that's changed is, okay, I'm going to date myself. Once upon a time, right? You used to have to wait like a week, but now you don't. And then there are also possibilities where you can schedule your mammogram and your doctor together. So there are just a lot of options right now, aren't there?
2: A lot of options. And actually where I'm at, they have a screening mammography facility in the Nordstroms. Shopping. Wow! So you can go and get your screening mammogram and then go do wow. some shopping. So, wow. uh, it, so, so they're they're all over the place, and and it really has become a much different experience. I, I have a number of patients that every year they schedule their mammogram with their friend or with their mom, and they make it sort of a lunch date. They go get their mammogram done, and then they go shopping, eat lunch. And it's, it's a more of an enjoyable experience as opposed yeah. to like a medical appointment.
1: Now, before we, I want to make sure people know how they can find out about the facts about what we're talking about. Can you tell us where people are going now to really get information?
2: For screening mammogram, uh, American Cancer Society is, they have a great website. I mean, I, I I'm always visiting their website, Lots of information, lots of data if you want to read through that, mm-hmm. uh, but very good um, patient-friendly information. And that's where I would start if okay. you wanted to learn more about screening mammogram.
1: And then isn't there a website, fact, uh, what is it, FACS.org? Is that uh, in- and that-
2: that's the American College of Surgeons website. And they have a lot of very, very good okay. information, too, about screening. Yeah.
1: immigrants. What I love about this is the amount of information that is now available is so much better than where we were before. Um, you know, this has been a conversation um, that mostly affects women. But what is the message for men in this
2: conversation? So I think there's a misperception out there that men can't get breast cancer. Yeah. But they can. So it's important for men to be cognizant of that. If they have a breast finding, such as a mass or discharge, they, they need to go to their doctor and get it looked into yeah. because it could be a breast cancer. Routine yeah. screening is not recommended for average men. But, but again, if there's a finding, then they, they should get it looked into.
1: This is an area you're passionate about. You're an expert in this. You know, every day you're waking up, this is what you're aware of, this is what you do. But I want to ask you this question. How far have we progressed in five years? And what are you excited about as you look ahead?
2: I think that the treatments for breast cancer have really progressed. And and what's interesting is during the pandemic, there was sort of a halt or kind of a hold on research. And literally within the past year, there was publication of at least three or four major studies of new and different treatments for all different types of breast cancer that have really changed the survival rates. And it just, they all came out at once. And I think part of it was because the pandemic sort of put a hold on everything. And then once the pandemic kind of died down, then the research continued. And it just shows that There's just so much going on in so many trials, and it's really good news for for patients because it's not just addressing one type of breast cancer, it's all the different types of breast cancer and really promising treatments.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I will tell you that I'm one of your statistics because I realized during the pandemic, I wasn't paying attention to this. And then when I realized it, you know, I realized the level of fear I had around going, You know, and what I want to say to people is, even though it may be a long time since you've gone or you've had one, you need to push past the fear and get it done, you know, because I realized like how it was in the back of my mind, like all the time. And then, you know, you go to get it done and you know, and then you know, right? What can we say to the people listening today that we can help encourage them? Your top three reasons. This is why you should go get this.
2: So, I would say you should get it because of the benefits of it. It saves lives it can't catches things earlier, and because it's not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be it's It's a quick test you're going to be in and out of there in ten to fifteen minutes, and the benefits are are just so great yeah and and I know it's something that people dread, but don't make it something to dread. Take, take a friend, go with, go with your sister, go with your mom, make it a lunch date, make it fun and, and don't make it something to dread because it shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, I did mine so that I could go play ping pong right after. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right about that reward aspect of that. I didn't really think that. I'm just thinking now that I did that really subconsciously, um, because that's my happy place. But definitely what you're saying is five to seven minutes. Um, What I'm finding is they take you really quickly. They're no long waits anymore. Um, Everybody is really aware and protective. You know, you may still have to wear a mask, no big deal. And you're right, it is over. And all the things you talked about, about improved equipment, more awareness, compassion of the technician, all of those things I have learned now through my own experience, we have changed to really be mindful of the patient. Isn't that breakthrough?
2: Oh, yes. It's it's a focusing on the patient, the journey, the experience that they're going through. Yeah, that has dramatically changed in the years. I've seen that for sure.
1: Yeah. Look, I thank you for today. But I want to have one other question. I would love to know your personal message. What do you want to say to the women that may listen to this, that are watching this? What would you like to say to them so that we can help people take that next
2: step? So I would say, check, don't be afraid of the mammogram. Don't panic that you're not maybe getting it done next week. Get it done in a couple of weeks. That's fine. It's not going to be as bad as you think. And check your schedules. I can't tell you how many people have told me, oh, I'm up to date on my mammograms. And then we look back and it's been three years since they've had it. I mean, the COVID pandemic was a time warp for everybody and people just lost a year or two. So check your schedules, check your medical record, make sure you're up to date and don't be afraid. You're going to do fine.
1: Oh, but you just like called me out because that was me. (laughs) <laughs> like I, when they asked me, when was your last mammogram, I said, oh, like two years ago. They're like, no, it was not. But even though I showed up and I did it, thank you so much, uh, doctor, for everything you're doing. I know you are doing interview after interview. I personally <laughs> want to tell you how important this is that you're out there talking with us. Um, too many people I've seen in my life not do what we're talking about today, and they're no longer here. And I don't want that for our listeners. Thank you
2: so much for everything you're doing. Thank you for the Mm -hmm. opportunity to talk with you. Yeah, appreciate it.
1: So everybody get up to date on your mammogram screening. If you live in my state, so easy to do so many places, so many things that if you're thinking, oh, on my insurance, this or that, please please check it out. You're going to find that it's much easier than you think. Let's take a short break. Everybody, we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Pat. I'm the host of The Dr. Pat Show, and I am the creator of the Transformation Network, doing what we do in the world of positive radio, informed, educated, positive media. Independent radio hosts and independent networks have been the face of positive messaging over the past decade. So all of us here have decided we're going to put together an independent network that is going to enable people to bring their positive message of hope, inspiration, and conscious action to the forefront. Help us create a future of amazing, uplifting stories that can be told so we can tell our children and they can tell their children of what hope and conscious action is all about. I want to thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, everybody, welcome. You know, I was wondering who was going to take this fight on. I was thinking to myself, is there somebody out there that sees what I've seen? Is there somebody out there that looks at marginalized communities and have seen the pain of what it's like to fight obesity? But how about fighting obesity among black women? Now, you have heard me tell the story of my sister, 450 pounds, dying on a hospital floor. And you've heard me talk about my relatives, people of color, as we are. But what is anybody to do about it? Does anyone care? Yeah. Kalia Ali, joining me here today, cares. And, you know, when you care, you take action. That is what this amazing woman is doing. Healthcare advocate, activist, designer, author, daughter of former boxing, professional boxer, Muhammad Ali. Now, I want to say this. This is not a conversation that doesn't require action. This requires action. And why? Wait till you hear the conversation we are getting ready to have. And I want to ask all of y'all out there, what are you willing to do? What is your commitment? How are you going to pass this on to others? How can you help? Wow. Clea, thank you for joining me here today. It's great to have you on the show.
3: Dr. Pat, I am touched, honored, and, and pleased. truly, the pleasure
1: is all mine. Now, this is a conversation that my family, my sister, my sister's children You know, we come from a very diverse family, believe it or not. I may sit here and 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 by the way, you know, the color of my hair, I just did it. Um, But what I'm trying to say is (laughs) we are not talking about this. And I want to ask you, what touched your heart for you to then say, here I am, Kaleali, here I am, and I am going to do something about it? What struck you in this? Let's start with the numbers. Four out of five black American
3: women are overweight. Or obese. Seventy-six percent of all Black adults are either overweight or obese. This epidemic in our country um, is is just one that we can no longer afford to turn a shoulder to, especially within the Black community. And like so many, I personally have struggled since childhood. Personally and publicly, I made my first appearance. Uh, On the Today Show at the age of nine and, uh, you know, and, and actually consequently visited again when I elected to have my bariatric weight loss surgery live on Today Show. Um, so for me, you know, one of my favorite poems of my father is me, we, you know, we're all so profoundly connected and we need each other and we need community and voices need to be heard to make change. And like you, sadly, I have lost along the way people who I love dearly. About a year and a half ago, um, I lost my brother, my friend, somewhere um, between COVID and and cardiac uh, comorbidities due to obesity and uh, making the struggle so vividly and painfully clear to me. And of course, within our community, while certainly COVID impacted everyone across this world, it disproportionately affected the Black community, notably too, as well as those who are overweight. Um, and so, you know, I've been so gifted with the platform I have as my father's child. Uh, always taught you build a a longer table, not a higher wall, and give. And it's a powerful way to curate his legacy as well, but but mine too, you know. And to let people know, though we have many different voices, you know. And I sat down at the round table and I spoke to four incredibly powerful and amazing women. And I encourage you to please. Listen to our conversation. You're, you're going to identify and find yourself. Um, you know, there's just a common thread that runs through all of us. You know, though we may have different struggles, different backgrounds, um, there's certain basic things that, that we all fight with and we need to stand up and fight for it together.
1: Yeah. Uh, look, I want to say this. I am beyond thrilled that you were taking the conversation out. And let me just do this. For people that are listening, I want to acknowledge your courage because despite what you may think about people that are well-known, that are celebrities, that are out there in the world, coming on public television and doing what you did is an act of courage. But it is in the spirit. And, And of course, it has to be. It is in the spirit of your, you know, your, your dad. I mean, I remember a quote and, and I, I'm telling you, I go way back. And so I understand and followed his energy. And as a matter of fact, his inspiration for so many of us that didn't feel like we could rise up. And I come from the projects in New York. And so when he said only a man, and I said man and woman, only a man and woman who knows what it's like to be defeated could reach down to the bottom of his soul and come up with the extra ounce of power it takes to win. Now, that to me has been a mantra. That's what you are helping people with, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's like sometimes
3: I'm winning, sometimes I'm losing, but I'm always <laughs> committed to the fight. It's a bariatric patient. I'm a revisional patient, yeah. you know, and there's no doctor that's ever going op- to uh, operate rather um, mm-hmm. a poor diet or my lack of inactivity, you know. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, to be very transparent, the struggle is real. This this is a, a marathon, not a sprint. I'm talking to you this morning at my lowest adult weight ever, but let me tell you, this is going to be a struggle with keep keeping here. Obesity is an awful disease. It's an awful disease, but you know what's great? What's great is the fact that folks like EndoEthicon and the American Academy of Family Physicians are getting behind us. They're recognizing us. They're reaching back into the community and they're giving us the tools to start the conversations we need to, to lead to success. I feel like they're giving us the gloves to put on that we have to get in the ring and fight. And again, you can learn so much more and hear this conversation at familydoctor.org forward slash healthy dash weight or hashtag fight to flourish on social media platforms.
1: Yeah, and by the way, I want to make sure you all do that. Go to the website. There's lots of information. I've already been there. Um, can I ask you this question? And uh, thank you for coming on here and sharing this information. But you know, you're somebody. I'm somebody. Look, we've battled this. I know what you're talking about. I, I believe me. I know a, a, every aspect of this. I watch my sister go up and down and sideways myself, as well. But here's the question I want to ask you about: Is what do you see? as the personal challenges in the Black community to rise up and really put the gloves on and knock this thing out? So
3: when we're talking cultural, it might just be as simple as switching recipes and not being determined to identify ourselves so closely with what we eat that's unhealthy for us. You know, um, but but on a more serious note, looking at very real issues and challenges. And again, you'll hear some of these conversations at the roundtable that we have to deal with within our communities. um, You know, just living in food deserts and having access to affordable, good quality food or, you know, it's the socioeconomics of it and dealing with, uh, again, similar to my family, you know, where you have systemic obesity issues throughout generations for a multitude of reasons. But when we're talking about socioeconomics, the playing field clearly is not even. So we have to strategize. We have to learn. We have to be self-motivated to the best of our abilities. You know, because life is hard. We work hard. The day is long, you know, and I appreciate that. But to just start making it tangible and taking the first step in your personal journey into loving yourself, and getting back to health. And the first step is always the hardest, isn't it?
1: The first step is the hardest, but you see you're taking that first step and helping a lot of people out. You know, what I love about this is, you know, sometimes we look at the road and we don't see a pathway. You know, we look at the road, we see a road, but we don't see this pathway. You know, the pathway that's going to help us to get, you know, physical, mental health, to get the challenges behind us, we don't see a pathway. But what you've done is you have taken the first step. So now we can see the pathway. Now we can take out and we can follow. And this is really so, such an important message. The, my first study I can't remember when it was, probably after I lost my job and I went back to school I, I studied the impact of socioeconomical, um, let me just say, consequences on people in different lifestyles, because I watched my sister. We all grew up, you know, in the Bronx right? You know, this is us. We understand what this like. And yet, we somehow and I somehow got to be here. But it was so important for me to understand. And I want to ask you this question. Is it really time for an effort where we say, we need some support to address this? Yes, we'll take the first step. But can you take the second
3: Right, and, and the second really is speaking to your healthcare professional uh, because healthcare is so incredibly personalized and individualized yeah. and reaching out to your medical team to know what the right first step is and utilizing Fight to Flourish campaign as a source of inspiration and connecting deeper within.
2: Yeah,
1: I want to ask you this question because I love things like this. I want you to look a year out from now and I want you to, to give us insight um, based on the work that you're doing, based on the work that people will find when they go to the website, I'm going to say it again, familydoctor.org, based on all of this that's happening, take me out a year. And as you look ahead and you look at what you've done, please tell me your vision for what you're most excited about. What have you seen the change be?
3: So I want to see the family continue to grow. I applaud ESSECON and the American Academy of Physicians for bringing us all together mm-hmm. um, and, and just, you know, continuing the dialogue and taking one step at a time. You know, um, this is, like I said, again, this is, this is a marathon, a distance, and I just look forward to being connected deeply to getting on the road and meeting people face-to-face and hearing the stories and hearing about individual successes. Yeah. You know, at Hashtag Fight to Flourish, you have the opportunity to join us and lend your voice. And um, I'm just super excited about participating. Mm -hmm. And of course, with myself personally, every day is a struggle, Um, you know, but
1: it's also a a victory when I stay connected and
3: and connected to source.
1: Look, I have one last area I wanna really work with you on. And I've watched this over time. And, you know, one of the things you talk about is an individual approach. And we don't talk about this enough. There's so much we hear about groups and teams and organizations, you know, right? Um, But there is an aspect of an individualized approach, which we don't talk about enough. What do you think are, from your perspective, what can we learn about the major benefits from this and how might people take action today?
3: So I think you have to turn to your healthcare professionals and your healthcare team and sit down with your
1: doctor and get the journey started. Um, when we look at this last part, and I wanna talk about it cause it's so cool. It's, I, I love the phrase, fight to flourish. That came from the heart. What does that mean to you? And what advice do you want to give women to step into the ring on that?
3: Specifically black women to identify with mm-hmm. feeling beautiful and feeling good and knowing it's just not enough to be healthy or at a healthy weight. You want to flourish. A lot of when we're struggling with obesity includes, you know, kind of not really feeling like our, our outside matches our inside. And, you know, um, it's going take it's going to take a team. It's going to take a village. We're here for you. So fight to flourish also means that there's a community waiting for you to embrace you, to hear you, and for you to be heard. Uh, And that, you know, it's a positive connotation, meaning fight to flourish, we will fight and we will flourish. You know, this, this can have a happy ending um, as an individual for what's right for you, Mm. as it has for me. I mean, I I can't tell you, I've, I've never felt healthier and happier in my whole
1: life. Wow. Last question. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today? And thank you so much for taking the time to get out there and do this.
3: Oh, pleasure's mine. Thank you for having me. Um, Really just please go within, hear your own thoughts, and be brave. This isn't easy. And take the first step. That's the hardest. And please reach out to your medical professionals and figure out what's right for you. And thank you so much for having me today. Just remember, hashtag fight to flourish. Please join us.
1: Everybody, let's join the fight. This is something that if you're not aware of it, Please get aware of it. If you don't understand the struggle, please take the journey with someone else. If you don't know how to help, you just heard how today. Let's take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back.
0: TransformationTalkRadio.com. Let the journey begin.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome. Look, those of us that are out in the world, we know what happens when you say the words prostate. Many of us have had dads, we've had partners, we've had friends, and there's one thing we know, and boy, I don't like to generalize, but the hardest conversations I've ever had with my family and loved ones is when I've had to talk to another male member of the family to go get something checked. Today, <laughs> today, I am so thrilled to have us join, to join the show today. Somebody that knows a lot about this, somebody that is passionate, somebody that does it on a regular basis, Dr. Meehan, joining me here today. And what is this that I want to say about who he is? What he is about is the passion and purpose of getting a message out there, conversations that are very difficult to have. And I'm going to tell you, whether it's a man-to-man conversation or woman-to-man conversation or doctor-to-man conversation or doctor-to-anybody conversation, we want to give you some insight today to say it doesn't have to be hard. It can be a level of awareness. It could be something that gives people hope. Uh, Dr. Meehan, thank you for joining me here today. It's great to have you on the show.
0: Well, thank you so much for getting me here. This is amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Am I right? Okay. Am I projecting or am I right? The heart, look, I have been doing interviews for a long time. I have helped a lot of people with understanding more about their health. The hardest conversations I've ever had have been with either male people in my family about this topic or friends about this topic. And honestly, I can't even get two sentences out because there's never been enlightened hope about what they can expect. Now there is. Can you you enlighten me? Because you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't know if it's because I'm a woman talking to a man, but whatever it is, when you open this conversation, you have to say, we have good news for you.
0: Yeah, this is a conversation that needs to happen. This is such listen, we need to demystify men's health, prostate health, and talk about this as much as we can. Did you know fifty percent of men by the age of sixty suffer from symptoms of an enlarged prostate? It is everywhere if it doesn't affect you, it will, and it'll will affect somebody that you love I mean this is this is our our, our brothers our fathers our, our friends, and we have new technology. It's been a renaissance of new technology and what I do to really make the process so much easier Yeah. so we can help men. It's, it's so needed.
1: Look, I want to I want to cut to the chase because I know these are small, uh, you know, short interviews. I was very excited. I know what you do is really outstanding. It is forward-looking. I love the idea that things are forward-looking, but let's talk about what the discovery is. What is what are we talking about when we talk about water vapor therapy and why is this now a very cool conversation to have, despite how scary this might be, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, so for years, the US BPH market, the market for uh, enlarged prostates. We, we've most men do nothing. They just watch it. Um, some men are started on medications and then we've had, uh, surgical treatment options. And that's, that's kind of how we roll for years. But the Renaissance started, I don't know, seven years ago, 2015 yeah. when zoom came out and now we have in office treatments where a, a guy can come in and in one office visit, his prostate can be treated and he can have long lasting results. And preserve sexual side effects. I mean, all these treatment options work. They all have pros and cons, um, but we have a new class of treatment options that are mm-hmm. done in the office that work extremely well.
1: Oh my gosh! Everybody, Dr. Raul, I'm probably killing his name, Dr. Meehan joining me here today. And I want to say, you know, for those who East Valley Urology Center of Arizona, uh, Dr. Listen. I love that we're sharing this message. And what I love about it is that we're talking about a treatment. The other thing I love is thank you for, for really um, activating what many of us know. Five years ago, we would not be having this conversation. This th- th- this conversation for many doctors was scary as hell, just to be honest with you. Now, what is your takeaway When we think about resume, what is your takeaway that you want to say to the people listening? And by the way, not just men, because the conversation here today has to go to the women because they're the ones that are going to bring the message. Right. You know that, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can tell you probably a majority of the office visits are set up by their significant others because they're waking up at night too. With with the guy, you know, when they're gonna have to use the bathroom, they're there. Yeah. When they're when they're going to Home Depot and Lowe's, they're being drugged to the bathroom too, because, you know, it's it it's it affects everything, yeah. and you know, it's it's such a common condition, um, yeah. but it's the women who get things done in our society, um, and you know, this message is for everybody
1: look, let's have a conversation. Uh, I want to go through here really quickly. For people that don't understand what to look for, let's start with some of the signs that we should look for. And then we're going to talk to how cool this therapy is. Because when I saw this, I have to tell you, when I started to read about it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is like those suits in the new movie Dune that really extracts the water (laughs) for good use. I'm sorry for that analogy. Um, But let's talk about (laughs) symptoms for a minute for people to say, look, if this is happening to your Love one, or you hit the pay attention button.
0: Okay. So the most common symptoms that I see are men start noticing that they're, they're waking up several times at night to urinate. They may have a weak or interrupted urine stream. They have a hard time starting and stopping their flow. They have a feeling or a sudden urge to urinate at times. They may not be sure that they're emptying their bladder completely. They may dribble urine at the end of their stream they could have painful or burning urination and have an inability to go when they feel like they need to go. They just lose that control that they've had before. And this is a subtle change. Yeah. Men start noticing this in their fifties and, and they're yeah. like, yeah, something's different. Yeah. And that can progress and become extremely severe um, over time.
1: Yeah. You know what? Let's make a statement. I want to say this for all the men out there, you know, my family members including, here's the thing. I don't care what you think you know that this is normal part of the aging process when you think in your mind oh, I'm just getting older, like stop and think again because that may or may not be true, but there's no harm really with hitting the pause button to pay attention, right? Right, doctor.
0: 100%
4: agree with you. Yeah. Okay.
1: I started to look at resume and first of all, let's give out the website. I want to give out the website like a hundred times, but let's show people how they can find out more right away. What's the best place for people to go?
0: Resume.com. It's easy. dot com. And the, the website is fantastic. It has information about the procedure and, and a link to find a doctor, a quiz that you can take to see how bad your symptoms really are and, and give you a number. And that should be your call mm-hmm. to action, you know, log on today.
1: And you know what I love? To, here's the call to action. This is how we open the conversation. Those of us women that are really getting ready to have this conversation for the 999 time. We get to say, hey, there's something new out there. It's a natural alternative to surgery. It treats the cause of your BPH, which we're going to talk about. So you can get back to your life. So if you can start a conversation like that, then they might say, oh, what is it? So let's tell them what it is.
0: Yeah. So Resume is a minimally invasive in-office procedure to treat in a large prostate, not just the symptoms. It uses water vapor to reduce the size of the prostate and provide lasting symptom relief while preserving sexual function. It works by using the energy stored in water vapor or steam to remove excess prostate tissue and... After the treatment, the body's natural healing response is unleashed and it absorbs all the treated tissue, shrinking the prostate. And when that extra tissue is removed, the urethra opens up, reducing symptoms of an enlarged prostate.
1: I got to ask you this question. First of all, I can't thank you enough for really taking this message out there, but I want to know what's in your heart because I've been doing interviews for 20 years and I always know there's something in somebody's heart. Always know there's some kind of inspiration and motivation that takes a person to the next level for a cause. What got in your heart about this?
0: Yeah. I, as a kid, I saw my grandpa suffering from in a large prostate and not being able to do the things that he loved to do. And, uh, you know, that was kind of my motivation to go into urology. And then mm-hmm. my dad, my dad had trouble urinating and had all those symptoms and I was in my training to be a urologist and I got him, I got him help and, and it changed his life. And it's been, oh man, that's like over a decade ago. And he's still doing, um, just doing great. Hmm. And uh, yeah, that's my motivation. It's just seeing it, you know, it hits home to me too. And to all of us, I mean, this is a condition that's going to affect somebody in um, and, and our lives and, and, and they can be helped most definitely. Yeah.
1: I agree with you. That's where I had to ask you that question, because once we see this with our loved ones, we can't sit idly by. And for what you've done, it's been amazing. I know I've got a few minutes left, maybe less than a minute. Here's my question. I want to know, again, mention the website, but what's your personal message? And if there was one message you wanted to give people, what would that be?
0: Yeah, only 2% of guys with severe symptoms get treated in the United States. That's a disgrace. We need to do better than that. We need to take the ones that we love and help them. And we have the technology. We have all these wonderful and beautiful things of modern medicine. Let's use them. Let's have this conversation. I would like, you know, I'm working in collaboration with Boston Scientific. Check out their website, resume.com. Find a physician and get the help that's needed.
1: And I want to end up with this for those of you out there. If you're wondering about the results, here's the thing. But the patients who receive resumed therapy can typically, can typically resume normal activities, listen to this, within a few days after treatment, and most patients see symptoms improve within two weeks. You see that? That right there is a game changer. Doctor, thank you so much for today. Thank you for all that you're doing.
0: Oh, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: You bet. R-E-Z-U-M.com. Check it out. Pay it forward. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. TransformationTalkRadio.com Hey everybody, welcome. As you well know, or maybe you don't know, this is the time, October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. That we really take the conversation to a whole new level. And that's what we're doing here today. Dr. Pamela Habib, joining us here today, head of US Medical Affairs, Bay Radiology, and Dr. David Schacht, breast radiologist at Northwesterns. I just, every time I read something about Northwestern, I'm just like blown away about what this, what you all are doing. You are. You happen to be, these interviews are one of the premier ways that information gets out. And I will say that you are leading the field. Here's what I want to say. Thank you for joining me here today. Many of us have lost parents, friends, countless, countless, countless people. And I think it's because one, we are afraid, and two, we're just not aware. I want to thank you because the thing we're talking about now, I think is the most or rather say the most misunderstood and least known about. Let's talk about breast density and let's talk about why each of you are here. Let me start, first of all, uh, with you, Pamela, uh, Dr. Pamela, if I could, and then we're gonna hop over to you, David, okay? Sounds great. Why do you think this is? That statement I made, why do you think we are here and on a mission to not just make this awareness, but this is an awareness and action call, isn't it, Dr. Pamela?
5: That's exactly right. Um, as you mentioned, I mean, almost everyone has been affected by this disease in some way and continues to be. And although treatments are improving, um, there's so much opportunity to detect cancers earlier and get the word out there that screening is important. So we try to use this month at this time to, to really um, to encourage people to get screening that they need, but really all year round. Um, and one of the topics that we want to focus on today is breast density. So on top of just the regular screening, um, the fact that there might be additional screening that could be required in a woman with dense breasts is something that we'd like to, to discuss here today as well.
1: Yeah, um, I wanna just uh, comment. I'm gonna make a statement. You all tell me if this is true or not. Mm-hmm. I don't mind beating the guinea pig out here. Um, one of the greatest misconceptions is that basically if you're a thin person, this is for you to worry about. But you know what? If you have a few extra pounds, nah, you don't have to think about density. How true is that, uh, Dr. David?
4: <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll take the untrue side of the <laughs> col- column there. Um, but but to your point, I think it's um, a relatively common misconception that you can know your breast density based on either um, your your body type or if your breasts sort of feel dense or lumpy bumpy when you feel them or when a doctor does physical examination, what we're really talking about when we're talking about breast density is how they look on the mammogram. And really, um, until we see the, the mammogram to really define the amount of what we call dense fibroglandular tissue, um, really, we can't make that determination. So, you know, I know that was a bit of a setup on your part, uh, but, to, but to your point, um, a patient's um, body size or body type, or even the way her breasts feel on physical exam um, aren't really um, yeah. the definition of what we're talking about.
1: And, you know, I, the only reason I brought it up is I've had my friends say that to me
4: oh, yeah, so it's a, it's I th- quite a common, th- yeah. quite a common thing. Yep.
1: Yeah. And that's why we're here today. Look, let's talk about this. What is, let's go back to you, uh, Dr. Pamela. What is breast density for everybody here today? I, I want folks to know what am I, what are we talking about here? So we eliminate any of the confusion and then let's talk about what do you do? Mammograms and why you two are here for this call of action. Pamela, let's start with you or Dr. Pamela.
5: Yeah, sure. So breast density, as Dr. Schacht had mentioned, is really something that we identify on the mammogram and every mammogram report in the U S will have a comment on how dense the breast is. What that means is uh, how much dense tissue there is compared to fatty tissue. So those are the two types of tissue that we can see on the mammogram. And the reason why it's important is because the more dense tissue there is, the more difficult it is to read that mammogram because tumors appear white on a mammogram and so does dense tissue. So you can imagine if there's a lot of dense tissue in a woman's breast, it could be very difficult to find a tiny white tumor hidden in there. Um, so that's one of the reasons why it's important. Another reason is that having dense breasts actually increases the risk of a woman to develop breast cancer. So a woman with the most, most dense breasts um, is four to six times more likely to develop breast cancer than women in the least dense category. So that's why we want people to be aware. Um, it's a normal finding and very common. Nearly half of women uh, age 40 and over who have a mammogram will find out that they have dense breast. So it's not something that to, someone needs to immediately be alarmed when they see the report or when they find this out. But there can be additional tests that can help you, which is why we want to make sure that these women have conversations with their healthcare providers.
1: Yeah, Dr. Pamela Habib, look, I want to stop for a minute because I have looked at your website and I want to make sure everybody on here, hello. You need to go to this website because this is, first of all, educational, informative, the way you've laid it out. I love the way you're educating people. So let's make sure we mention where people should go. Let's do that right now, uh, Dr. Habib, if we could.
5: Yes, sure. Thank you for that. Um, The website does have a lot of great resources, um, and it is densebreastresources.com. Um, it has information on breast density, tips for talking with your healthcare care provider, um, how breast density can affect your screening needs. So it's a really great place to start to, to gather more information.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, Dr. Schacht, look, you are in it every day. Well, both of you are, but you're in it every day. You see this every day. You understand what people know and what they don't know. What do we do from here? There are things that I didn't know that you're talking about here. For example, what do you do if you have dense breast? What do you do? Do you do something different? Do you ask different questions? Okay, I'm laying that all on you, Dr. Schacht, hmm. the
4: moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're living in an era of more and more personalized medicine. And I think this kind of falls into exactly that category where... Um, we're, we we know that these decisions are not necessarily black and white. There's not a all, one size fits all solution for every person. And, and, and that's actually great um, and means that really the discussions with your doctors about your values, the discussions about um, the different trade-offs for the different tests. Those are, those are important conversations for folks to have with their doctors so that they're getting um, the care that makes the most sense for them. And so that we're, uh, You know, our job is to educate our patients, help them understand what the tests can do, understand what the density means so that um, they're empowered with the information that allows them to make the best medical decision for them.
1: I was reading some information. I'd like both of you to comment on these two statistics because I want everybody to know. Mammograms miss up to 40% of cancers in women with dense breasts because dense breast tissue can hide or mask potential tumors. Dr. Habib, you, you touched upon that. The other statistics I want to put out there is that um, and these are big numbers for people that are not statisticians, I want to tell you, I am one. And I'll tell you, these are big numbers. 30% of women do not feel informed about how their breast density impacts their breast cancer risk and screening needs. Now, in the world of statistics, that is so far beyond the margin of error that I don't even know what to say. But that's why you both are here. Dr. Habib, that's why you're here. Because you're here because we need to make those numbers smaller.
5: Exactly. Um, That 30%, it just shows that there's so many women that could Would value additional education and could benefit from additional education,
1: which is why we want to,
5: uh, which is why we're here today, and we're trying to get the word out um, continuously.
1: Yeah, Um, Dr. Schacht, I want to ask you a question. Um, You're sitting in front of a woman right now, and you're getting ready to have a conversation, and you're thinking about all these interviews you both are doing, and you've learned so much. It's all over your website. Give me the top thing you want to say to that person to make them more aware.
4: Um, yeah, that's, that's, um, that's what we do every day is help, help folks understand exactly some of the, the data that we've talked about today. And, you know, I always want women to understand that um, across all types of breast density, mammograms are step one. They've been proven to reduce breast cancer mortality across all breast densities. So, you know, I think there's um, sometimes a feeling of, well, why don't I just skip the mammograms and do something else? And and I, I think that's one thing that I always try to emphasize with my patients is that mammograms are step one. There are lots of different ways that breast cancer pre- can present, um, and m- multiple of those uh, findings, as we call them, can still be seen in women with dense breasts. So... After we've accomplished step one, that's really where we start to get into um, some of the decisions about these extra screening tests, such as MRI um, or ultrasound, that really can be made in a shared, decision, shared decision-making shared model with our patients.
1: I love it. Dr. Aviv, I want to ask you this, because you know this, right? I have sat across the table, and uh, clearly, I don't really know how to say this, except as a woman, one this is one of the things we put on the bottom of our list, Two, When we do go to get this done, we don't really know what to ask. If you are the, that woman and Dr. Schacht is talking to you, what are your top three questions would you like to ask him? As the patient, you're asking Dr. Schacht as, a doc, as the doctor. What would you like to ask him? That's a great question. Um, and I think
5: the... One of the things that Dr. Shak just mentioned about screening and why am I here and, you know, what is the benefit? I think it's a great place to start. Um, If your mammogram shows that you have dense breasts or you just want to know you didn't see it in your letter and you want to find out, you can ask. And I would ask, you know, how dense are my breasts? What category of density am I in? And what does that actually mean for my personal breast cancer risk? Um, And I think it's also very important to share any risk factors that you might have so that your healthcare provider can take that information, understand your personal history or family history, and look at your mammogram and put that all together to identify whether you might benefit from supplemental screening in addition to that mammogram.
1: I love it. I want to make sure, Dr. Shack, back to you. I want to make sure people have this website. I mean, good job, uh, I I don't know how involved you all were in this, but everything from the pamphlet that you have about understanding your density, everything in the website is first of all, very easy, accessible, easy to read. Uh, and you've created a forum, shall I say, let me call it that a forum. And thank you for putting people's stories in here. Let's give out that website again, Dr. Schacht, if you could.
4: Sure. Absolutely. So the website for more information, um, on breast density and for Um, Some pointers on talking to your healthcare providers about density is uh, the website, densebreastresources.com.
1: Okay. I know these are short interviews. Um, I want to tell everybody, even if you are not the person we're talking to, I want you to take this website and I want you to pass it on. I want you to text it to the people that you know. I want you to make sure that people in your life know about this and know the questions. Last question for each of you. I know you're here because there's something in your heart. I know that. We're all here because of that. You wouldn't be doing back-to-back interviews, (laughs) getting asked the same questions if you weren't. I want to know, starting with you, Dr. Habib, thank you for joining us here today. What is in your heart and what's your personal message? And then Dr. Schacht for you.
5: Thank you for having us to help us spread this message. Uh, For me, it's just being not being scared to speak up. If you have a concern, make sure you talk to your healthcare provider about it and don't ignore the annual test. I think it's easy, as you mentioned, it's easy to ignore, to not show up, to delay it. But really, if you are at that age and you're, uh, ready, you're at the date to have your annual screening, I strongly, strongly recommend that you do that on time. Thank you. Dr.
1: Schacht, how about you?
4: Yeah, I, I- you know, breast cancer is unfortunately a common disease and we have great tests and great treatment um, so that um, the outcomes are so much better now than they were a generation ago. And I think that's something um, that I'm very proud of.
1: I want to thank you both. I can't say enough about how important this is. You know, certainly when I think about my mom and I think about the people that have passed and I think about what if they would had this information. You know, this, the what ifs in our lives are what save lives. And thank you both for doing what you do. And thank your organizations for us here at the Transformation Network, because you all keep showing up. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you.